morning. And um, want to use those as a jumping off point. I want you to envision this morning, and this is just, uh, obviously, it's not the exact way that it happened. There's nothing that give it, that's given to us in the Bible, but I think I, in, in my own mind, I can kind of envision this happening. But uh, the dramatic physical ascension of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the Mount of Olives, and of course, that's where Jesus ascended from heaven uh, to heaven from, and I'm going to show you a little bit of that, not tonight, but uh, when we pick back up with the Bible geography, but the millions of angels that gave... Uh, that gave Jesus the, that glorious welcome when he made it back to heaven. And I think that after a, a joyous celebration, they gather around to start asking Jesus questions about his birth and his life and his, his death and his, his resurrection. And they crowd around to hear how he had just so faithfully accomplished all that the Father had given him to do. And they wait with anticipation for the details of his strategic plan for spreading the message of the gospel all the way throughout the rest of the, the, the entire earth. I can just imagine the conversation the angels tell Jesus, you're back here so soon. Just 33 years of you living on the, on the earth and 33, you know, three and a half years of, of public ministry. How will the entire world throughout all the rest of the generations hear about what you did? And Jesus said, well, I've, I've trained my men and women. They said, to evangelize the whole world? They said, yes, every person from every nation and every tribe and every kindred and every language the angel said, well, how many have you trained for such a huge task? And Jesus said, well, a handful. A handful? To spread the message throughout the entire world? Jesus said, yes, but if they fail, I have no other plan. The angel said, but isn't that a, isn't that a grave risk to take? By now, you can imagine that all the angels were standing around and listening for Jesus' response. How did he expect that just a handful of men and women were going to be able to take the gospel to all the four corners of the earth? And Jesus said, no, through me, they have experienced the Father's compassion and grace. And in response to my love, they're going to make my very last command their very first priority. And then the power of the Holy Spirit, they're going to announce my Father's gracious offer of forgiveness everywhere they go and to everyone they meet. And the angel said, well, what, what kind of men did you choose? Were they, were they educated? Were they, were they sharp? Were they dynamic? Were they articulate men and women with wonderful personalities that could draw in a crowd? And Jesus said, well, let me see. I chose a few smelly, uneducated fishermen. I chose a couple leather-skinned shepherds, a greedy tax collector, political zealot, some disillusioned religious folks, an old whittled grandmother, a few former prostitutes, a prisoner, a doctor, a businesswoman, a tent maker, and a couple others. Lord, how can you entrust the greatest enterprise to people like that? That's too great of a risk. Surely they're not going to succeed. Jesus, I can imagine, said to them, it's not a risk because they will not fail. I've made no other plan to spread the good news of my redemption and my offer to all of mankind to offer eternal life to them. I've trained my men and my women and I've sent them out into the world and they will not fail. And they didn't. A tiny handful of the most unlikely people in the world, empowered by the gospel of the living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit did not fail. 
And in Matthew chapter 10, I want you to think about the, the church throughout history and its growth in the world today. We would not be here if they had failed. But they weren't doing it in their own strength. They weren't doing it in their own power. They were doing it through the power of Jesus Christ, gospel, and the Holy Ghost. And he says this in verse number 16. Jesus is instructing his apostles here, and we're picking it up into the middle of the passage of his instruction. But he says this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it's not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And just like from the beginning, the Lord remains committed to just one simple plan. He wants to use each one of you to reach your family members, to reach your friends with the truth of his gospel. And if you step forward in faith in response to his love, you're not going to fail either. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, one of the men that was there in the very beginning is one that you're very familiar with. It's the Apostle Paul. His mindset was to win the lost at any cost. And he said, that, said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now, in this particular passage, Paul was talking to the Corinthian Christians who were really struggling, but Paul made it very clear that he felt the same way about the lost. By the time of the writing of 2 Corinthians, Paul's motives as well as his apostleship were being called into question. People were starting to question whether Paul had the authority from God or not, but Paul still labored among them to give them what God gave him to give them. 
and to give of himself to them for the purpose of furthering the cause of Christ. When you set your heart and your mind toward being a witness for the cause of Jesus Christ, there will be times when you feel like your investment in others seems underappreciated and even taken for granted. But Paul, in this passage, shows us by example, and we're going to look at some other things here in just a minute. The spiritual investment in other people requires a willingness to be spent, a willingness to just serve, a willingness to just be able to get the gospel out to love in return for little or no love. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The title of my message is very simply this, Investing in the Souls of the Lost. Investing in the Souls of the Lost. How can we be effective in winning the lost for Christ? That's what I hope to encourage you with this morning. Let's pray. We'll look at a few things here in these passages. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for an opportunity that you've given us to be ambassadors for Christ You've given us the opportunity to be representatives of you here on this earth. I pray that you'd help us to give every effort that we have. And God, that we might not fail in giving out the message of the gospel. May this message speak to our heart this morning. Again, we thank you for your goodness and for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want you to see is this. Don't be divided by who gets the credit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you'll turn over there. See, a person who is truly interested in souls is not going to be concerned with who gets the credit for winning that soul to Christ. It just goes against the very nature of what it means to have a burden for souls. If the only reason you have a burden for souls is because you can get a credit for winning them to Christ, then you don't genuinely have a burden for souls, and they're at odds with each other. When a soul comes to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, he has passed from death unto life. He's now a part of the family of God. He's now a witness for Jesus Christ himself. It doesn't matter who gets the credit for seeing a soul saved. In fact, that the chances are very high that you were uh, not the only one involved in that person coming to Christ anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 6. I have planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We saw this exact same thing happen in India with Brother Nitin. And I pointed this out at the time. We were able to lead several people to Christ. His father, his brother, several people that he had been working on for quite some time. We were able to sit down with them and lead them to Christ. The easiest thing would be to say, well, just all it took was for me to get there to India and give them the real gospel, right? But I I made it very clear to the church, hey, Brother Nitin has been watering. You have been watering. You guys planted the seed. We came, and and it just happened to be that when we were there, God gave the increase. But God is the one that did all of it. We're not anything special because we happen to be the one that picked all the fruit, right? Somebody had to plant it. Somebody had to water it. Somebody had to develop it and keep working through it and keep working with that that, that fruit and fertilizing it and everything else. Somebody else comes along and picks it, comes along and picks it. Nobody's anything special. God's the one that has to do it. God's the one that did that work. We're just pawns in the hand of God. And when we allow him to use us for his glory, he will. But if we're trying to be used for our own glory, we're not going to see God do anything. I've found that God tends to not use those who are only doing it so they can get credit for it. That's why soul winning contests don't work. 
Or should I say they don't produce genuine conversions? I've heard of many churches over the years that have a soul-winning contest. Who can win the most souls for Christ? It, it, it gives such a, a wrong sense of why you're doing what you're doing. You're not doing it because you care about the soul. You're doing it because you want to win a gift card or something. And that's a wrong motivation. And now you're going to be forcing people to accept Christ so you can chalk up another number and turn it in and get the gift card or get the trip or whatever it is that you're trying to reach. There's no, there's no competition in winning souls. If we're going to have a competition, we, can, we should have a competition to see how many people you can tell about Jesus Christ. Especially in today's day and age, it's hard to win somebody to Christ, especially on the first time you talk to them. It takes watering. It takes planting and watering and, and fertilizing and developing before you finally get that fruit many times today. If we're trying to force somebody into accepting Christ, then there's not going to be genuine conversions. They don't give the proper motivation, their, their motivation to win a prize or get their name in the lights. It's not because you're trying to rescue a soul from perishing in hell. You're trying to do it for your own personal glory. And God will not bless that. So I've always said that I welcome other church planters in this area who are preaching the true gospel. There's plenty of churches that are coming into this area that are not preaching the gospel. We're not in competition to see who can grow the largest church. We're not in competition to see who can bring the most people through the doors. We're working together for the cause of Christ. We're not trying to build our kingdom here. We're trying to build the kingdom of God. And if it means that we can work closely together with somebody else who's doing the exact same thing, then so be it. If we did, a, if we did an evangelistic campaign together and we had a tent meeting and, and, and several churches came together and we saw people get saved and, and some of those converts went to that, that other church, then that's great. We're working together for the cause of Christ. We're not in competition with other people. That's why I say that, that, you know, to see that a lot of these churches in our area that are moving away from the truth, that's not an exciting thing. It's a discouraging thing. Man, if we had 50 churches in this area that were, that were strongly preaching the word of God and living for him, that would be wonderful. Because that would mean we're reaching our Jerusalem. That's what our job is. Our job is not to grow a huge church. Our job is not to, to be in competition and see how many people we're winning versus how many people they're winning or how big our congregation is versus their congregation. Our job is to reach our Jerusalem with the gospel. When we were getting ready to start this church, we were praying about where God wanted us to be. I was just telling Brother Johnny about this the other day. I, I, I put a dot on Gilgrove Baptist Church because that's where I was an assistant pastor down in Chesterfield. I drew a, I drew a circle in a 60-mile radius they knew that we wanted to be close enough for them to be able to help us as we were getting started and for them to be able to be involved in it. And in a 60-mile radius, I felt like that was something that they could do. And I, and I really felt like that was something that God would lead, was leading us in. So I started going in a circle around that radius. And I won't tell you where I ended up, but I started looking at a certain area. And I knew there was a pastor in that area. And I went and I talked to him. I met him for breakfast one morning. And I told him what our plans were and kind of the direction we felt like God might be moving us into this particular area. And he said, well, listen. You better not be within about 15 minutes of our church. We're not going to be fighting over the same people. And I, 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 this, this is supposedly an independent Baptist pastor, and I could not believe that I heard those words come out of his mouth. We're working together for the cause of Christ. We're not fighting over the same people. We're trying to rescue them from hell. That's what we're doing. We're not in competition with you. I'm not trying to take people out of your church. I'm trying to rescue souls that are dying and going to hell. And thankfully, God moved us out of that area and moved us over here. 
And this is where God had us plant because I would sure hate to be stepping on somebody else's toes who didn't want another church there in his area. Man, if somebody moved five minutes from here that was actively trying to win souls for the, for the cause of Jesus Christ, I'd welcome them to come into this area. And we'd do everything we could to help them start. There's almost 350,000 people in Henrico County. There's a whole lot more uh, when you add all the people in Goochland County. And I've said this before, but if we were to start 35 churches and put 10,000 people in every one of those churches, we are just reaching Henrico County. 35 churches with 10,000 people in them. We've got a whole lot of room for a whole lot of churches. You want to come in and start a church, join the rescue party. We're not in competition, we're working together. A.J. Gordon, a pastor who died in the late 1800s, said this, we do not stand in the whole we do not stand in the world bearing witness to Christ, but we stand in Christ bearing witness to the world. When we're in Christ bearing witness to the world, we're not going to care who gets the credit as long as Jesus Christ is glorified. Don't be divided by who gets the credit. But number two, don't be deterred by a lack of progress. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. This world is a filthy, wicked place. It's made of a filthy, wicked people. But it's not our job to throw them away. Our desire ought to be to continue to invest in people abundantly. Paul said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. That doesn't describe what's happening in our world today. The more we try to reach out and share the message of the gospel with people, the more they hate us. But that should not affect whether we try to reach out and save them or not, try to reach out and give them the gospel or not. I'm not saying that we shouldn't deal with sin or that we should just turn a blind eye toward it. But we see in 2 Corinthians that Paul confronted the sin and the sinner. See, the point is that the sin problems didn't deter Paul's desire to see God do a work in their lives. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 31, he says, Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Why did Paul have tears as he warned them? Because there were some that rejected. There were some that did not accept what he was giving. And he was begging them to accept Christ. Turn over to Romans chapter 9. You really see the heart of the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 9. And I want you to think about this. This is, this is Paul's burden. And, and Paul's burden here is so strong and it comes out in the words that he says, but you know that it's exactly what Paul felt in his heart. He says in verse number two, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. You want to talk about a burden for the lost? Paul said, I would go to hell if they could be saved. My burden for them to accept Christ is so strong that I would be accursed from Christ if I knew that it meant they would accept him as their savior. Paul knew all about hell. Paul had heard the teachings of Jesus about hell. He knew how horrible that place was. He knew everything about it, and yet he still said, I would be accursed from Christ if I knew that my brethren could be saved. What a burden. Your burden should be so strong for those that you know and work with that are on their way to hell. Boy, we, we have our fire insurance. 
We know that we're not going to spend eternity in hell if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. We've got, we've got heaven to look forward to. But think about the millions of people, and in this area, the hundreds of thousands of them that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that if they don't even know how to accept Him, they're going to spend an eternity in hell someday. Can you say that you're burdened for those people that live across the street from you or next door to you or that are part of your family? Can you say that your burden for them is so strong that you would die and go to hell in their place if they could just go to heaven? Is your burden for them that strong? It's not, and your burden's not strong enough. That's a hard thing to ask somebody. That's a hard thing to... I don't know if I could say that. I'd like to think that I would do that, but I know how bad hell is, and I don't want to go there. But could, could I be accursed from Christ, from my kinsmen, from my brothers? Can, can, am I willing to have such a burden for them in that way that I'd be willing to go to hell for them? That's the burden that we ought to have. We're not sharing the gospel. Typically, it's indicative of, of one of a few things. Number one, we don't love Jesus enough. If we could see him on the cross for our sins, I think we'd love him a whole lot more. We don't love him enough. Number two, we may not love our neighbors enough. We have no burden to share the gospel with them, even though we know they're lost. You don't love your neighbors enough. Isn't that one of the parts of, uh, one of, the, parts of the greatest commandment? You said love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you love yourself enough to be concerned about it and make sure that you're not going to hell. How much do you love them? Do you love them enough, the same way that you love yourself, to tell them how they can escape that horrible torment as well? Love of God cannot abide in a heart that's not willing to share. Number three, we may not really believe in heaven. Oh, we, we believe it. We say we know it's there. We know that heaven exists, and we're looking forward to everything that we have in heaven. But if you really believe that heaven existed, you would want everybody else to go there. If we could see heaven for what it really is, we would want everybody to be a part of that. Do you love people enough to want to share with them how they can go there too? Well, then right on opposite of that, the fourth reason might be that you don't believe in hell enough. If you really believe that hell was as bad as you say it is, and if you really believe that hell is as, as, as tormenting of a place as we read in the Bible that the Bible says it is, a place of fire where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth and all of those other things that we are so passionate about believing that hell has, how can you let somebody go there? You don't really believe in hell if you can, if you can let somebody that's on their way to that place just go on to that place and not tell them how they can get out of there. You don't really believe in hell if you can let somebody go there. The fifth thing is, Maybe it's evidence that we don't have very much of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we have no desire to share the message of the gospel with others. Turn over Colossians chapter 4. See, if I, I think if we can understand what the punishment of the wicked is going to be like, to know that it's forever too late, and to know not only that it's forever too late, but that you've lost out on the glories of eternity and the and, and the dwelling in the presence of God himself, 
That's going to that, that's gonna burn in our conscience much more than the flames of the lake of fire. William Booth, I think it was, said, if we could put a Christian in hell for 24 hours, it would make a flaming evangelist out of everyone. Imagine if you were just to spend 24 hours in that place. You'd get a whole lot greater burden. And if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of your life, and if you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, then how can you not tell somebody about Christ? Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. What's the mystery of Christ? That's not some unknown thing. It's not some speaking in tongues or something like that. The mystery of Christ is the message of the gospel. And Paul is begging that God would give him utterance, that God would give him the boldness to speak what he needs to speak to the lost. And you think about the Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest soul winners, at least in the Bible, if not ever, one of the ones that had the greatest impact in getting the message of the gospel out to the known world at that time. And even Paul said, I, God, please help me to share the gospel. You know why? Because it's not easy. To, to go tell somebody that they're a sinner and to go tell somebody that you're on your way to hell without Christ, that's not an easy thing to do. We don't want to make people feel bad. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. But we must beg God and ask for the Holy Spirit's power to have utterance to speak the message of the gospel to them before it's too late. He said that I make, make it manifest as I ought to speak. Every one of us ought to be giving out the message of the gospel. If we don't have very much of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then we're not going to have a desire to share that message. Don't be divided by who gets the credit. Don't be deterred by a lack of progress. There'll be plenty of times when we share the message of the gospel with somebody, and in some cases, many times, and they don't accept Christ. That ought not to deter us from sharing the message of the gospel. Christianity, sadly, because of the condition of the churches, is waning in America. It's harder to lead somebody to Christ than it ever has been. Don't be deterred by a lack of progress. Don't be deterred because you can't go walk outside and go talk to somebody for five minutes and they accept Christ as their Savior. Keep telling them. Keep sharing the gospel. Well, I've already told them twice. Tell them again. Tell them again. Tell them again. There's several people that I've been working on for a long time that I've given to the gospel multiple times. Will they ever get saved? I don't know. But that's not up for me to decide. That's a decision that they have to make. The Holy Spirit has to do that convicting in their heart and they have to respond to that conviction. But that does not release me from my responsibility of trying to do everything that I can to share the message of the gospel with them. Well, that's done. Gave them the gospel. That's on them now. Yes, it is, but it's also on you to keep telling them and keep telling them and keep sharing the message of the gospel and think of a different way to share it with them so they might accept it the next time and keep telling them how they can be saved and keep telling them that they need Jesus Christ. And maybe one day, 
And it may even be on a, a day when they're laying on their deathbed and they're thinking about the words that you've told them over and over and over and over again because now eternity is staring them in the face that they may accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Tell them once, they're probably never going to remember it. Tell them twice, they might. Three times, maybe. But four, five, six, seven, eight, ten times, they're going to remember it. And they may have an opportunity if they haven't accepted Christ yet. Don't be discouraged. Or don't be deterred by a lack of progress. The, the last thing, the third thing is this. Don't be discouraged by a rejection of your love. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? I'm going to love that person more so they can love me less. What a great plan. If you've made any attempt to bring people to Christ, then you know rejection. No doubt that most of us in here would at least say that we've had a desire to win others to Christ. But just because we have a sincere desire does not mean that our efforts will always be sincerely received. Don't be discouraged when some people reject the message of the gospel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. And we take it personally, oh, they, that person doesn't like me because I tried to give them the gospel. They're rejecting Christ. They're not rejecting you. Don't be discouraged by that. There's a good possibility that you desire their salvation even more than they desire to see themselves saved. Jesus said of the Jews, in fact, turn over to Matthew 23. What a powerful statement. And it was there on the Mount of Olives, and I showed you a few pictures of it last week. I'll show you some more. But it was there on the Mount of Olives that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. Why did Jesus weep over Jerusalem? Matthew 23 and verse number 37, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. He said, I, I, I wanted you to get saved, and I sent people, and you killed them, and still I would have gathered you the same way that a, that a hen gathers her chicks. And still, I would, I, that offer is there today. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, just accept it. When's the last time you wept over your city? When's the last time you drove up and down the road and you watched the hundreds of cars passing you and even thought about the fact that most of those people you just passed were not saved? When's the last time you sat in a Walmart parking lot and watched those people go in and out of the store and got a burden to see them accept Christ as their Savior? That's the burden Jesus had. Can't tell you how many times I've sat there and, and just brought tears to my eyes knowing that so many of those people are, are just going about their day, going about their lives, completely ignorant of the fact that when it's all over, they're going to spend an eternity in hell. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's what Jesus said. You know what Jerusalem was? That was where he lived. It was home. Oh, we, we'll, we'll give money to missions because we've got a burden for the world. But we won't walk across the street and tell our neighbors about Christ. Don't pretend you have a burden for souls because you give a few dollars in missions if you're not willing to walk across the street and share the message of the gospel with the people that you are familiar with and that you have an opportunity to reach. Dumping a few dollars in an offering plate 
to send it around the world for somebody else to do that job is not a fulfillment of your responsibility to share the message of the gospel. And make no mistake, what they need more than anything else is not better politicians that will lead them in a better direction, not better community leaders that will lead them in a better direction, not not better facilities and all of that other stuff. What they need more than anything is Jesus Christ. We're willing to dump all kinds of money because that's easy. It's easy to give money to any number of different things. It's hard to go next door and share the gospel. But that's what having a, a burden is all about. And what happens when you go next door and you tell your neighbor and neighbor, eh, I don't really believe that. I don't really believe the Bible. I don't even know if God exists. I'm an atheist. What? I'm rejected. You know what? That ought to give you a greater burden to pray for them even more. That ought to give you a greater desire to work on them even more and share the message of the gospel. Boy, if they only knew. If they only knew what it was like to have life in Christ. And you can give it to them. You can give it to them. Jesus Christ faced the greatest rejection this world has ever given out. Do you know what he did? He went to the cross, and he gave his life, and he said, whosoever will may come. No one was rejected like Christ was rejected. No one faced opposition like Christ faced opposition. How many times they wanted to kill him? A couple times that he had to pass through the midst of them to get away because it wasn't his time yet. But he still went to the cross. And even though knowing that the very people who were pounding those nails into his hands, driving that nail into his feet, and shoving that spear into his side, and jamming that crown of thorns on his head were the very people he was on the cross dying for. He still said, whosoever will may come. He still said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus didn't let rejection deter him or discourage him from doing what he knew he had to do. We need to continue making investments in others for the cause of Christ. Stop trying to get people to come to church. Start trying to get them to come to Christ. Just because you invited somebody and they walked through the doors of this church and sat in this auditorium does not mean that your responsibility is done. This church is a tool for you to help bring them to Christ. You are the witness. You're the Christian who has the responsibility to share the gospel. If you've shared the gospel, and in some cases more than once, invite them to church. They'll hear the gospel again. But if you invite somebody to church and that's the first time they've ever heard the gospel, then you failed in your mission as a witness for Jesus Christ. You failed in your mission if you invited somebody to church and that was the first time they heard the gospel. Everything that we think about, everything that we do, ought to revolve around sharing the message of the gospel. And I've said this many times. You're not a plumber who happens to be a Christian. You're a Christian who happens to be a plumber. You're a Christian who happens to be an electrician. You're a Christian who happens to work in a factory. Your number one job is not to go make money. 
not to make a comfortable living, not to enjoy life. Your number one job is to share the message of the gospel. Are you doing that? A pastor by the name of Paul Miller said this, I do not read of Jesus inviting people to his synagogue. I do not recall him trying to increase attendance at his synagogue by bringing in new music or lighting or more comfortable seats or synagogue growth strategies. I do not recall him planning outreach events so that other people know how nice the people of his synagogue were. I do not recall him wearing shirts that said First Jerusalem Synagogue or Grace and Compassion Synagogue in order to advertise his synagogue. I do not remember Jesus telling people to invite co-workers to his synagogue. I do not remember Jesus boasting that his synagogue only uses the original Hebrew version of the Bible that Moses used. I do not recall Jesus having entertainment or athletic events to try to attract people to his synagogue. I do remember Jesus going out into the world and making a difference and changing lives for eternity. I remember him publicly being hated for speaking openly against the sins of his culture. I remember him opposing religious leaders and caring about the hurting, not accepting their sin, but telling them that true peace and love and eternal life comes only by turning from sin and following him. Are you telling others of your church or of Jesus? What I'm telling you this morning is not all those, that, that all those things are bad. They're not. But don't get so focused on getting people to church that we neglect to make it our responsibility and take it upon ourselves to follow the Great Commission and bring people to Christ. How did you do last year? We're already a couple months into the new year. A few years ago, we had a, a theme. Each one reach one. One person, we asked, one person to reach for Jesus Christ in that year. But winning souls has to be the theme of this church. A lot of other things, looking unto Jesus, that's our theme for this year. If we're looking unto Jesus, then we're not going to be able to do anything but point people to Jesus Christ. You're looking at him, and you see him for who he is, and you're going to want everybody else to see him for who he is, too. Everything that we do as a church must revolve around the Great Commission. It must revolve around pointing people to Jesus Christ. There's a reason God left us here on this earth after we got saved. It's not so you can have a good life. It's not so you can be comfortable and have, enjoy your family. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong. But God didn't leave us on this earth to do that. He left us on this earth to share the message of the gospel. And if you're not doing it, then why are you even here? And I'm not saying go kill yourself. I'm saying that's the purpose of why we're here. That's the purpose of why you're here. Are you fulfilling your purpose of why you're on this earth? I've told you this story before, but I'll end with this this morning. An old man was walking along the beach early one morning. And as far as you could see, a bunch of starfish had been swept up onto the beach. Of course, starfish can't walk, so they were just stranded on the sand. And a little ways ahead, he saw a young boy picking up starfish and throwing them back into the water. And that man finally caught up to where that young boy was, and he said, don't you see how many starfish there are out here? Look, look how far down you can see. There's starfish everywhere. What possible difference do you think you're going to make? There's so many of them. 
And that young boy, without really even missing a beat, bent down and picked up another starfish and threw it into the water. And he said it made a difference to that one. When you look at all the souls in the world, over 8 billion now, it's a daunting task. And we're not going to be able to reach 8 billion people with the gospel of Jesus Christ from this church. We can try, we can send missionaries, but we're not. Realistically speaking, we're not going to reach 8 billion people for the cause of Jesus Christ. But you know what you can do? You can make a difference to that one that lives next door to you. You can make a difference to that one that works across from you. You can make a difference to that one that sits next to you at the family reunion. You can make a difference to that one that you see walking around in Walmart or that you went through the drive-thru and got your food from. You can make a difference. You just have to want to. You just have to love Christ enough to tell other people about him. Your mission field is right where you are. Your responsibility is to win those that God has put close to you. Don't be divided by who gets the credit. Don't be deterred by lack of progress. Don't be discouraged by a rejection of your love. Because I can tell you this. Someday, it'll be worth it all. Not only when we stand before Christ and we can say, I've done what I could. I want to be able to say that. But you know what I'm looking forward to? That whole crowd coming with me. And saying, God, it was through your help that I made a difference to this one. Oh, and here's, here's another one. He's, he came with me. Because he came through the blood as well. And I made a difference to this one. We can all walk into heaven together. You know what? You make a difference in somebody's life, guess what they're going to do? They're going to turn around and make a difference in somebody else's. And they're going to make a difference in somebody else's. And they're going to make a difference in somebody else's. And guess what? That's what the Bible says. It's all fruit that's added to your account. Because you did what you could. We have a job to do. And that's to tell everybody that we have an opportunity to tell how they can be saved. Are you taking your responsibility seriously? Because someday it'll be worth it all. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for me. I thank you so much for dying on the cross for the sins of the entire rest of the world. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be passionate about sharing that with everybody that we can with the time that we have left. God, may we not fail in the mission that you've given us to simply share the message of the gospel. And may we be effective in reaching souls for you. Regardless of whether we're accepted or rejected or we get praise and credit or we don't, God, may, you be, may we be willing to be used by you in this area of winning souls. I thank you for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If